And after you've qualified, you don't automatically get the money. You do have to write an essay. Uh, you do need to get a recommendation from your principal. There is the national scholarship program that you do have to follow. So it's not just taking the PSAT and doing well that'll get you the money. You do have to do a little bit of work afterwards. From Test Takers, this is the Hashtag Prep Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn more about standardized testing and college admissions so that you can help your students navigate this important time with accurate and insightful information. Hosted by Test Takers Director of Development, Andrew Naniakara, and Director of Personnel, Jeremy Freed. So prepare to learn the secrets that will help your students gain clarity, reduce stress, and work smarter, not harder. This is the Hashtag Prep Podcast. Another week and another episode of Hashtag Prep. This week, we're back with the Naka and Jeremy duo to help us deep dive into the PSAT. We've been filming a lot of calls recently about our upcoming popular summer course, and one of the low-key advantages of preparing and doing your heavy lifting during the summer is that not only do you get your SAT prep for the August or October SATs, but students also get preparation for the PSAT, which is sort of that cherry on top of their standardized preparation, because if they do well on it, especially during the 11th grade PSAT, they can qualify for scholarship money. So their energy kind of pays off doubly during that time. But usually the next thing parents, especially of rising juniors, ask me is, didn't my student already take the PSAT? So what's up with that? Yeah, it's either uh, didn't my student take the PSAT last year or my, my students in ninth grade, they're taking the PSAT next year. You know, we need to prepare, things like that. You know, the, the PSAT, when it counts, is the 11th grade PSAT. That's the one that's given in October. Uh, that's the PSAT uh, NMSQT, the National Merit uh, Semifinals Qualifying Test. You know, that's the one that you really want to do well on. Uh, there's been, you know, kind of a move in the market to have additional forms of the PSAT. Uh, there's the PSAT 10, which a lot of schools are giving now, even a, a PSAT 8-9 to, to really expose students uh, earlier on to standardized tests if they've never seen them before. But uh, the, the PSAT that you're interested in doing well and in some capacity, that's going to be your um, 11th grade fall October uh, PSAT that you, uh, have, you have your eye on there. The most important thing is that these tests are really an introduction to standardized testing. So it's not used for admissions in any purpose. For a small proportion of those high-scoring juniors that will be taking it during 11th grade, it's in their best interest to do some preparation. Yeah, I mean, if you're a really high-scoring student, uh, you have designs on getting into that uh, national merit qualifying range, then there are you know, certainly some benefits there. But you are talking about you know, a, a really elite score that uh, is required in order to qualify for uh, national merit, either uh, semifinalist, finalist, uh, so on. Regardless of how you're scoring, it's important to try on the PSAT. At least put your best foot forward so you can get some valuable information to help you start your college search. Definitely. I mean, uh, I think the P in PSAT kind of was a practice SAT for uh, a number of, of years when the usual structure to it was students might see it in 10th grade if they had a school that, you know, was really uh, looking forward and, and making sure that their students position themselves well. Then you'd take the PSAT in 11th grade and see how that went. You get a score back. You'd take the SAT maybe once in spring and junior year, maybe once in fall of senior year, and then you'd be done. But with the way that the kind of prep apparatus is moving that preparation cycle earlier and earlier, or at the very least, uh, students are expressing interest earlier and earlier than the you know new PSATs, the PSAT 89, the PSAT 10. You know those are, are really giving students uh, a lot of good feedback early on. I wouldn't necessarily prepare for those tests actively uh, because 
there's, there's really no advantage to doing well on them. Uh, but there is a benefit to trying really hard to get a good understanding of, of where you are, uh, especially these uh, PSAT-10s, the new PSAT, very similar in terms of length and content uh, to what you'll see on your standard SAT. So more than ever before, when it was a 2,400-point SAT and it was a longer test, the PSAT was shorter, there was really some projection involved. Now you're really looking at very similar tests in terms of what they're testing, how long they're testing you for, the overall structure, and what that uh, feedback means. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out Episode 7 of the Hashtag Prep Podcast, the What's on the SAT episode that features the president and founder of Test Takers. We do a deep dive in the content and what students are expected to know for the SAT. It's very similar to what students are expected to know for the PSAT. Remember, the PSAT is that toned-down version of the SAT. So it does start off with that evidence-based reading, followed by the grammar section. And then you'll have your non-calculator math, followed by the calculator math. Very similar in appearance. Yeah, the, the only you know, significant differences are uh, slightly easier uh, subject matter. You know, it, it does come you know, earlier in 11th grade or a, a PSAT 10, obviously, for 10th graders. So you'll see some of that stuff, but maybe a, a little bit more accessible than you would see on you know, a regular SAT. Uh, and the timing in a few places is a little bit different as well. The, the reading section, instead of the 52 questions, 65 minutes uh, that you'd see on an SAT, instead you're looking at 47 questions in 60 minutes. Uh, so a little less time, uh, a few fewer questions. A writing uh, test is virtually identical. 35 uh, minutes, 44 questions. Uh, so that's exactly what you'll see on the SAT. And then uh, a little less math, both in terms of the number of questions uh, and the time allotted. You have uh, 58 questions in 80 minutes on an SAT versus 48 questions in 70 minutes on a PSAT. Uh, so you're looking at uh, just a, a little bit less uh, to deal with. But when you consider, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the past form of the PSAT, which was just two hours and 10 minutes versus a SAT that was you know, well over three hours at that point, when you compare the two hour and 45 minute PSAT to the three hour SAT, you know, you're really looking at getting a, a very good bead on how you'd perform on real test when the time comes to take it. The slight differences between the SAT and the PSAT are accounted for in the way that the PSAT is scored. The highest score that you can get on a PSAT is a 1520. The math and the English sections are scored out of 760 each. And the way I like to describe that 40-point discrepancy uh, between an 800 and the 760 that it's scored out of on the PSAT would really be attributed to those harder problems that you do not see on a PSAT that you do see on an SAT. I think the idea is that if you get a perfect score on the PSAT, don't assume that you would get a perfect score on the SAT because you actually have to know a little bit more. You, you know what the PSAT and the SAT both have in common starting this fall? No essay. No essay. No essay. No essay. Because I can never not say that enough. No essay. <laughs> now, as Jeremy alluded to before, the 11th grade PSAT, also known as the NMSQT, the National Merit Scholarship Qualifying Test, is especially valuable to high-scoring juniors who get those exceptional grades on the PSAT. But just taking the test, they do give out recognition for any specific backgrounds, Native American, Latin backgrounds. So when you do fill out that ethnicity uh, part of your PSAT, you could possibly qualify for some sort of money that way. Something else that, that I remember being the case was that after I did well on the PSAT, I don't know if it was a box that I had checked, you know, in terms of, you know, 
the college board can release, you know, my score to interested parties. But I felt that that was when I really started to get lots of mail from different colleges offering me, you know, scholarship packages, you know, not just like the national merit scholarship, but schools, you know, kind of got wind. It's like, oh, this is a high achieving person. Why don't you come to our college? Uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to college in you know, Alaska, but I think if I had gone to the University of Anchorage, uh, I would have come out wealthier than I went in because they were offering me so much money because I, I qualified for so many things. So, uh, so that's it's it's just something that a, a high score because a you know a national merit you know semifinalist like. You know, you can be that or, and you can apply and want to be a finalist. You, you can, you know, get through a number of steps you know, on the route to being a scholar and not actually succeed. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't worthwhile for you to do well on it. You know, you can, you can still you know, really raise your profile in kind of the college application community, so to speak, uh, with a strong performance. Once you finish your PSAT, those scores are sent over to the National Merit Scholarship Corporation, a business that it is their job to assess to determine which students do qualify for a scholarship. Now, how this corporation kind of assesses the scores is based on a selection index, which is an assessment or kind of a reorganization of your subscores that you got on the PSAT. So how your PSAT is scored is similar to the SAT. They take your reading and writing score, they combine that, and they give that the same weight as your math score that out of that fifteen twenty on the PSAT. Now, when they combine it for a selection index, what they do is they weigh them all equally. So before, math weighed just as much as the reading and writing. Now they all weigh equally in determining your selection index. So what they'll do is they'll take your subscores for your reading, math, and writing. They'll add those together. They'll multiply by two, and that's loosely how you get your selection index there. Yeah, it's um, you know, related to uh, the older version of the PSAT that I uh, mentioned previously, where that shorter form of the PSAT um, in kind of correlation to the 2400-point SAT, where the reading, math, and writing were all separate um, you know, scores on that test, uh, that it was easy to make a one-to-one -one comparison. Uh, since uh, the test has gone back to 1600, you know, the PSAT selection index, uh, that score seems a little strange because you can get like a, a 210 and wonder is, well, to 210, is that any good? Um, well, it's very good. You know, you, you basically divide that by three and you say, okay, so 210 is roughly speaking like a 700 in each of the different sections. You know, that's really a strong score. If you want to get into some of those uh, semifinalist and higher up awards, then you're looking at, you know, even higher scores, uh, often into uh, the 220s, you know, which where you're looking at something where that relates to a 1450, a 1500, something like that on real SAT. So Jeremy just mentioned some general uh, information about the selection indices. We are actually lucky enough to have the reference tables here for the class of 2020 to become a semifinalist, which is the top 15,000 scores on a state-by-state -state basis. Uh, the score was a 221. And to get commended, which is in the top 50,000 scores, you needed to have a 212 selection index. For the class of 2019, it was about the same for 221 for the semifinalists and about 212 for accommodation. And in the class of 2018, it was still 221 and about 211. So that's kind of the, the, what you're trying to aim for, about that 220 goal there. 
Say you are fortunate enough and you worked hard enough to earn that high score and you qualify for a semifinalist or as a commendation, you don't officially become a semifinalist until senior year, almost a year after you take your PSAT. And after you've qualified, you don't automatically get the money. You do have to write an essay. Uh, you do need to get a recommendation from your principal. There is the national scholarship program that you do have to follow. So it's not just taking the PSAT and doing well that will get you the money. You do have to do a little bit of work afterwards. A final important reminder for parents is that the registration for the PSAT happens through the school. The PSAT is organized by each individual high school. Most schools will be giving it in October. That's the traditional test date, especially for the 11th grade PSAT. Some schools for the PSAT 10 will give it in the springtime, but it is organized through the high school, so do be in communication with your guidance counselors. They usually inform parents of when the PSAT dates are at the beginning of the school year on their back-to-school night. So just to wrap up, really, I mean, the, the PSAT and the SAT, very similar tests, very similar content. Uh, in many ways, it's impossible to prepare for one without preparing for the other. Uh, that's why when you know parents ask uh, about PSAT prep courses, we don't even offer one. Uh, we offer SAT prep because that's the more important test. And if you're preparing for the SAT, you're fundamentally preparing for the PSAT. Uh, so there's, there's nothing really different that you need to do there. Uh, and if you're a parent who's kind of new to this whole standardized prep cycle and you have a student entering high school, uh, you all of a sudden see this, you know, menu of PSAT options, the 8, 9, the 10, the NMSQT, uh, the one that counts is the 11th grade PSAT. So if at some point you decide, I want to be prepared for this, I want to do well on this, uh, the test that you want to do well on is the 11th grade PSAT. That's the one that's going to make a difference. So that's our hashtag prep pro tip right there. Make sure that if you are prepping for your PSAT, make sure you're not preparing too early because it doesn't really count for anything. And if you are going to prepare, prepare for that 11th grade PSAT because you can qualify for a scholarship. Sitting across from me is Jeremy. My name is Naka. And this has been Hashtag Prepped.